long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where if it's not canon, it doesn't count. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me, she is cooler than a porg in sunglasses. Say hello to Lindsay. <laughs> oh man, that's probably the most flattering lie I think I've ever heard. <laughs> so, I'll take it. It is true. You are definitely the coolest among us. Oh, well, thank you. At I'll least, take it. At least your Instagram and Twitter are the coolest among us. <laughs> I, I think I give most of the credit to my mom and my sister's dogs on that one. That dogs, dogs always help. Mm-hmm. Dogs help win everything. That's, that's the solution. It's the solution to everything. So what's new, Lindsay? What have you been up to in Star Wars or in reading or anything like that? Oh, man. So I'm trying to take it light on most of my reading just because I'm getting ready to finally go on vacation this month. And I like to do, like, all of my reading on the beach. But the problem is, and I was going to ask you for your recommendations because I know you're always reading really good books. But the problem is the past few years, when we go on vacation, my nephews are now old enough that they don't need to nap during the day. And all they want to do is play. So I haven't gotten any reading done. So I just went to go pack the other night. And I was like, I'm going to end up going through this entire summer having only read Thrawn Alliances. Dang. That's... Yeah. I mean, I feel bad saying this, but I've read like 30 books this year. I'm actually kind of oh. proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. You should be. <laughs> I mean, I, I I will say like uh, about eight or nine of those are like junior novels that I read at school, but I, I figure if I have to read them for two classes, I can count it as one book. So I'm taking credit for that. But... As far as, like, recommendations go, oh, man, what kind of stuff do you like to read outside of Star Wars? Um, I actually really like a lot of the nonfiction stuff. Like, I love anything. I've been getting, like, super into cults lately. I mean, not that I'm joining one. I just like learning about them and reading about them. Um, so I really like that. Um, anything like World War II history related, I always get really into. Um, but then I guess for fiction, I love like the whole dystopian future type genre. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at that, you're probably looking at like the teen fantasy section, honestly. Um, I've been playing catch up for the show for so long that I, I don't even know what's going on out there there's a series i keep seeing that i want to try called uh i think the first book is called scythe so there's that is out there and the other one is this new series i've been interested in it takes the disney fairy tales and puts a uh i guess evil twist on it almost so like for beauty and the beast um bell's mom is actually the one who cursed the beast so they have to deal with that and stuff oh geez that's awesome so, and then there's one with Mulan called Reflection. And I think that one, um, Mulan has to go into the underworld or something of that nature. So I'm going to check those out pretty soon. Um, yeah, let me know how those are. Those yeah, sound really sure. good. I've So I've been playing catch up because I have a terrible memory. And so I've been rereading all the stuff that we've uh, been doing here. But we've got like 10 books lined up that we have to get through that I've already read. <laughs> So I started actually digging into the expanded universe, and I'm going to start working probably very slowly over the rest of my life um, through the chronological timeline of um, of the expanded universe of Legends. But I am going to say there's no way I'm going to read them all. Like Ones like Courtship of Princess Leia, which I've just heard are nothing but a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. Avoid, I, avoid, avoid. <laughs> if I get through all of them. I mean, I'm in the... Right now I'm reading Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void, which I'm really liking. Um, it's like literally during, I guess, 
before the actual Jedi Order because they're called Jedi or Jedi. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a weird pronunciation. I don't know if you've read this one. But um, it looks like they... It's, it's like they started in this one system, and this book is eventually going to lead to them expanding out. I don't know. But I'm enjoying it. And then I've, I've read, like, Revan and a couple Old Republic books before, and I really like those, so I'll probably dig into those pretty soon, too. Nice. So I would recommend, if you're doing the EU and you want some good Han and Leia, um, check out Tatooine Ghost. That one is really good, and it'll, like, allude to courtship of Leia. But you don't actually have to read that one. You can totally skip it. You'll pick up just fine. And that one, I think, redeems a lot of that story. And it's really cool. You'll like this because they incorporate Shmi Skywalker into it really well. See, that's what I, I like. I I read some of the uh, Expanded Universe when the prequels were coming out. Even, like, I mean, I was, like, what, 13 or something like that when Revenge of the Sith came out. But... I was a pretty high reader when I was a kid, high-level reader, so I was reading, like, the adult novels. I read, I know I read Rogue Planet. I'm trying to think of, I think I read Cloak of Deception. I know for sure I read the one, oh, it was The Trials for Anakin. It's got Anakin and Grievous on the cover, and it... Oh, I know, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I can picture the picture, yeah. Yeah, it gives the background to Grievous. I always really liked that, so... I think I'll at least get through the prequel timeline. Um, if I get through the post-Return of the Jedi timeline, we'll see, because I'm really digging what they're doing in this canon. But speaking of this canon, we had San Diego Comic-Con last week, and we got a lot of announcements Ooh. as far as... <laughs> wow. If, if Clone Wars coming back wasn't enough... You know, here's all these books, which, you know what, actually, before we jump into the books, I've been having this thought, I so it's the end of summer, I've completed all my summer projects, and I am now sitting, like, trying to find movies that are worth the $6 I had to pay to rent them on iTunes. By the way, Annihilation, worth the $6. Oh, so good. That movie, I mean, oof. So good. Uh, Rampage, not. But, um, (laughs) those are the two I watched today. So as far as Clone Wars goes with the Return of Clone Wars, do you want to see them take bring the episodes out little by little, or do you want them to just drop all 12 at one time onto the, the Disney streaming network? Ooh, good question. I think I would want them to drop it little by little, just because the way, one, the way we are as fans, and then two, the way Dave Filoni is as a storyteller, I think that you can really dissect so much from every single episode and you're not necessarily going to do that when you binge watch something so i think and i might change my mind but for right here right now i think i would want it to drop like one week at a time so this way we can sit there and mull everything over and just make all the connections that there are yeah i was thinking it would be really cool because the working theory um that I, I came up with it on my own, but I was not the first person to come to this conclusion. That's A lot of people have said it, um, that there's basically going to be three arcs. There's going to be Bad Batch, there's going to be Utapau, and there's going to be uh, Siege of Mandalore. I would like them, if they did it in like four episode blocks, where you get the whole story arc, but you don't have three story arcs at one time to, to look at. I feel like the end of rebels was so strong releasing like two episodes a week every week for a while and while it kind of was a lot of content at one time it also was really nice to get that much content at one time and we know like we've already said goodbye to clone wars so i don't feel like it's going to hurt as bad this time going into clone wars if they were just to drop all 12 it, it, i don't think it would be as bittersweet to have them all at one time that's true. That's a good point. And I mean, we are, I think we've proven even that the younger audience in Star Wars still mature enough to handle more advanced storylines and more at a time. But I don't know. I think I would just rather have a lot more really rich episodes and time to dissect it. But in terms of whether they do it in one big batch or smaller doses, what is your kind of top 
like, I really hope this happens or I really want to see this. I mean, Ahsoka's coming back, so there you go. Um, <laughs> we got her. But if we're... I really would like to see the moment where Rex and Ahsoka say goodbye to each other when they um, fake their deaths. Mm-hmm. That's covered in the Ahsoka novel. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're going to get the Maul-Ahsoka duel, so I don't really count that as one, but obviously I want to see that. I think the biggest thing I hope to see is in some way Ahsoka and possibly the clones around her and Order 66, whether that's her escaping because they attack her or there's another Jedi there and they attack that Jedi and she doesn't know why they don't attack her or, you know, it could could go so many ways since since she is technically not a Jedi anymore. So I hope that we get a little bit that crosses over. I don't want it to go super far into, like, the end of Revenge of the Sith. I obviously don't want to see Ahsoka facing Vader because that would go against Rebels, even if it was, you know, in the form of Anakin. Uh, but dealing with the the events of Order 66, I think, would be... I like tragedy, so I think it would be right <laughs> up my alley. I've realized that about myself. I think that's I like part of the suffer. reason... I I part of the reason I like the prequels so much is because they're so tragic. I think, I, I really do. I know that's it's sad. At least, but. at least you know that about yourself. Yeah, I've never claimed to be the best person in the world. So let's <laughs> dig into these books from San Diego Comic Con. I think the big one um, that I want to start with is Women of the Galaxy by Amy Ratcliffe. I am a huge uh, fan of Amy Ratcliffe since uh, her days on Full of Sith, and she's been on. Uh, she has lattes with Leia on the Coffee Con- with Kenobi network now, and she's just an amazing, amazing person. Um, and she is writing this book that is looking at, I believe, and I'm trying to find the exact number, I believe it's looking at 75 women across the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, it's going to be one of those coffee table size books, and I normally don't pay like the $40 that those things cost, but I'm going to figure out a way to get this the day it comes out. Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be one of the better coffee table books, as you said. Um, I'm really excited to see how she kind of spins each one, just because 75 seems like so many to me. And it's not that I want to cut any of them out. It's just how many unique things can you really say about 75 different women? But if there's anyone who's going to do it, it's going to be Amy Ratcliffe. Yeah, absolutely. So this one comes out on October 30th, and I think the thing that's really interesting is the the first line is, Heroes, villains, Jedi and Sith, senators and scoundrels, mothers, mercenaries, artists, pilots, the women of the Star Wars galaxy, drive its stories and saga forward at every level. I like that they are really looking at all the women of the Star Wars galaxy, and it's not just like, hey, here's our recent female heroines that we're going to push more so you guys buy the new stuff. You know, um, and and it doesn't bother me that they do those kind of things because, you know, they're a business, whatever. Like, if I don't want to buy it, I won't buy it. You know, that's my personal decision. I'm not mad at them for pushing their products. But I think the fact that you you, you talk about things like mothers, we're going to get something with Shmi in there. You know, um, mercenaries, artists, pilots, like there's... There's so many uh, characters to dig into, and I really, I mean, I look forward to figuring out a way to get a copy of this into my classroom so that my young women can read this book and see themselves in this story. Are you going to rip out any pages about Nora Wexley? Um, I might just, you know, do some graffiti propaganda on there. <laughs> Uh, if they, I mean, it's going to be a big book. She's probably going to get at least a whole page spread. But, I mean, when my kids ask me, who's Nora Wexley? I'm going to go, it's not that important. You don't need to <laughs> Skip know. Skip it. Skip it. Skip it. But what is important, the one you do need to know, Queen's Shadow. We're getting a Padme novel, Ooh. people. Oh, It only took us 20 years, but what? we got here, guys. <laughs> Yikes. And, and I have been shouting, and, and I know I had nothing to do with this Padme novel being uh, produced, so this is just... No, take the credit. Take no, the credit I had nothing it. to do with it. Uh, but I have been shouting for, we need stuff between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones for years. 
so much there. So good. So much you can do. And I mean, and EK Johnston, such a good pick yes. for it. I mean, I know we, I know we don't have that much from her. Um, really, just the Ahsoka novel and some short stories. But she's someone who, from the little we have seen, can take someone else's voice and grasp it really well. And that's so hard to do in Star Wars because these are such well-established characters. So I think she's going to be a really good fit. I'm excited to see what she does with it. And I think she's excited enough about it. Yeah, and you, you said it perfectly. With the Ahsoka novel, she got the tone of Ahsoka perfect. Like, And this was the first time... I mean, other than adaptations of episodes of The Clone Wars, where Ahsoka was on a novel page, you know, on the, on the, in the written word only. And it didn't feel like it was the first time. It felt like E.K. Johnson had been writing her forever. And she had no model to go after. It's not like, it, you know, you can look at the Revenge of the Sith novelization and go, oh, well, that's how you write Anakin, you know, or Kenobi. And you're like, ah, oh, that's the character of Kenobi that you need to get into a page. And I think even now, and we'll get into this a little more later, but I think Timothy Zahn gave you a great model of how to do Padme in a book. And so not only is E.K. Johnston just naturally talented in that in that craft, you know, in that bringing somebody to the page, but now we've got even more on Padme. We're going to have this Women of the Galaxy out, you know, that could contribute to it. The Thrawn novel is going to contribute to it. So... There's just so much more prequel content now that I think it's only going to enrich these stories more and more. There is, and I have to be honest, out of everything announced at San Diego Comic-Con, this one was not what I was the most excited for, especially in the prequel (laughs) era. And I think you know which one I'm going to say is. Oh, whatever. Could it be? (laughs) Could it be Master and Apprentice? I have a bad feeling about this. I don't sense anything. Hmm, what is what is this you speak of? <laughs> I was so excited when I saw that. And Queen Shadow they had announced beforehand, but this one, like, I was so blindsided by it, and I'm so excited for it just because the original young adult series, it wasn't even young adult, it really was like more of a kid series in like 2000 about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan before Phantom Menace. Like that's what got me into Star Wars, that entire series. So now to have this whole new book come out about it and written by Claudia freaking Gray, like I'm so excited for. Can we just, we get, we got to stop for a minute because apparently all you have to do is say you want to write a Star Wars book on Twitter and you get a Star Wars book. <laughs> Because Chuck Wendig was like, I'd like to write a Star Wars book. And he's like, written three Star Wars books and multiple comics. Claudia Gray, oh, I'd love to write a Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan novel. Well, there you go. You know, I'm just, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm just going to say that I want to write a Star Wars novel uh, between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. You know, Patrick Ness, if you are listening to this, if you could hop on your Twitter and say you want to write a Star Wars book real quick, we'd really appreciate that. But, you know, I I mean, I'm going to say this right now. Claudia Gray is the best Star Wars writer of the modern era. And I'm saying that with Timothy Zahn still in consideration, with John Jackson Miller still in consideration, with James Lucino still in consideration. You have Claudia Gray. She did Bloodline. She did Lost Stars. And she did Leia, Princess of Alderaan. But see, that's that's the thing, though. I I agree. She's definitely up there. She is absolutely up there. I don't know if she's the best or if it's just that she's done the most. Because I really love Delilah Dawson. I, yes, but her, just to me, her books are on a whole nother level. Like, they are the Michael Jordans of these new canon books. Whereas the Delilah Dawson's and Timothy Zahn's are, you know, the LeBron James and the Magic Johnson's and Larry Bird's. Definitely great Hall of Famer style, you know, writers, and I want all of them writing more. But to me, Claudia Gray is just shoulders and head above 
the rest of the pack. That said, I really, you know, you mentioned Delilah Dawson. I've been thinking a lot, you know, we have so many new female writers. We have so much possibility of female con female-centric content that we can get. And I want Delilah Dawson writing more books. I want, you know. So badly. Oh, man. Like, I even draw a blank about who else I want writing more Star Wars books because Delilah Dawson's was just. Christy Golden is the other Christy one. Christy Golden, yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to read. It's just such like a unique perspective and they write such strong characters, whether they're writing for men or women. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's what, to me, that's what the novels are about. And I think that's, we talked about it on the aftermath episode. That's what aftermath missed. It, it wasn't focused on the characters, even with dark disciple really to me, like the plot of dark disciple is not even about the Jedi ordering the assassination of Count Dooku. It's, you know, about Ventress's, I guess, mini redemption, you know, and capturing that character and developing that character. I feel like the books that, at least for me, are successful in their goals are the ones that focus, really focus in on the character development and just all of these authors. I mean, I feel like so blessed that we have all of these authors in here because we have the old hat, like, you know, Zahn and Lucino and John Jackson Miller. But then now we're bringing in all this fresh new blood. And I, there's, to me, there's really no downside to it because everybody basically is challenging everybody else, even though they're not like, you know, calling each other out or anything. But when you have somebody writing, you know, a book to the level of Lost Stars that, which, by the way, I read the Lost Stars manga really good. Um, but you, you have somebody writing at that level everybody else who's writing in that ip has got to try to reach that level you know and if you look at lost stars it was the first young adult novel to come out and i'm looking at the other ones they've put out you've got ahsoka which is great rebel rising which was amazing legends of luke skywalker was mm. i know it, it was it was uh, but i really enjoyed it and then leia princess of alderaan was possibly the number two book for me uh behind lost stars so all in all, great authors, great books. I'm really excited. So there. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan one? Because I kind of went on a tirade there for a minute. No, just cannot overstate how freaking excited I am for that. I think Qui-Gon is incredible. So to be able to get more content with him, I will absolutely take what I can get. And I'm hoping they push this, like, 10 years before phantom menace where we have the possibility of sequels if it's really really well received and we can i get, agree you know we can get an adult version of you know that jedi series that you were talking about mm -hmm. uh the other there there were just two more i wanted to touch on the one is this comic series vader's castle i don't even know how to put it to words is this a good idea i'm gonna go with no and I think this is, like, the first comic series, like, I haven't really been able to get behind. And my issue with it is, I think it just makes the universe too small of a place. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want Vader's Castle to be something that a lot of people have experienced. I mean, I'm looking yeah. here, you've got Kanan and Hera and Chopper, which I, I don't know why they would be there. You've got Ewoks, which is just weird. Han and Chewie, which you've got to write this Han and Chewie thing where Han still believes that he wasn't, you know, doesn't believe in the Force. And then you've got one with Obi-Wan and Count Dooku in there. And I I don't know if this is going to be like a buildup maybe to Vader's castle being made there and maybe some lore behind what it was before the castle was there. But in all of the cover art, it looks like the castle is already there so I'm, um, yeah i'm confused the only way i could see it really working out is if they made it more like a legends of luke skywalker type deal where it's not like hey these are canon stories just like hey these are the tall tales that have been passed down yeah i hadn't thought about that that would be a, a really good way to do it i just wanted to touch on that one because it kind of just took me back the last thing that I want to touch on, and this wasn't announced at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. The Solo novelization is coming out. Uh, well, Solo comes out in September, so I 
the the novelization will come out right around there. The Last Jedi novelization added uh, a, a good bit to the movie itself. What do you want to get out of the solo novelization? What are you looking to get out of that version of the solo story? What I would love to see is more of Kira. Uh, I think she, in the movie, was a great character. Amelia Clark did a really good job with her. But what won me over was her in Most Wanted. So I think to be able to get more of what's going on in her life at this point, what her thought process is as all of this is going on, and really dive into how other characters see her is going to be a big stepping point um, for where they can go with everything else. And then, of course, I would obviously love a little bit more Maul, just because I think he is such a good addition to that movie and ties things together really well. Um, so I'd like to get a little bit more of backstory there and with Dryden Voss. But really, I just want to dive into Kira a little bit more. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on the mall thing. I don't, I don't want more mall in there <laughs> at all. Just because I, I'm hoping that they're holding back for something bigger. Um, so I don't want it to feel like, okay, we gave you mall. Congratulations, the cartoons count, you know, um, kind of thing. The cartoons count. <laughs> so I... And we'll get into this on the next episode when we cover Most Wanted, but Most Wanted, for me, the thing it did best was get into the heads of Kira and Han Solo. So I'm I'm with you there. I definitely want to get a little bit more into those two characters. Yeah, I actually, and I'll probably say this when we record that episode, I kind of like Most Wanted more than I liked the movie Solo. Ooh, I don't know if I would go that far, but... I don't know. We'll leave that as a We'll clear. talk about it we'll, then. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it then. Yeah. We'll come back to that one. Because today we are talking about... What else would we be talking about on Don't Burn the Secret Text? We're talking about Thrawn Alliances, people. Come on. Thrawn Alliances. Yeah, with it. Okay, so let me, let me just start out by saying, in my opinion, this is the best Thrawn novel to date. I think the character was used effective. He was finally up against somebody in the Empire who was worth challenging him. Because... I think the only other character you could have challenge Thrawn would be Tarkin, but I feel like those two characters are too similar, and it wouldn't have been as dynamic of a story as when you put Vader and Thrawn up against each other. It's like this story of what happens when brute force meets a chess-level you know, intellect, and I think it allowed us to see a new side of Thrawn's character that I really appreciated. It's interesting you say that about Tarkin. I don't think seeing him and Tarkin together would really be that good of a match. I think it would really just feel like a continuation of Rebels, whereas what this book did really well was just tie into and kind of allude to Rebels without it feeling kind of just like a chapter two type thing. Right, right. But what, what I was more saying was the that if you had Thrawn and Tarkin going against each other, it's pretty much like thinker versus thinker mm. whereas thrawn and vader they kind of become these two parts of a whole you know and you you kind of get to see palpatine forcing them together to craft them into his tools i think yeah yeah they did it was kind of more of like an animalistic side versus the Really, Thrawn is kind of the more human side of the two. So yeah, it was it was a great pairing, and it was done very well and very believably. Yeah, and that's hard for me to to get behind too because I have two problems when it comes to Thrawn books. Well, I shouldn't say that. I have two problems when it comes to this Thrawn book. I have one problem when it comes to every Thrawn book, and it's sometimes that his his plans are so far out in left field that it gets confusing to follow. And so in an effort to make him seem far smarter than anybody else around him, I feel like the plot gets kind of muddied. And the the only place that happened this time was with the whole container situation. But I feel like you knew enough of what was going on to understand it. But there were certain points when, when I felt it was kind of confusing. And that just, I don't know, that kind of irritates me. But... It was such a minor thing, it didn't really bother me too much on this one. Yeah, they definitely did it a little bit less in this one than they did in 
the other Throne EU books and the first Throne book. What they also toned down, which I was really happy with, um, is what I've come to call the House of Cards effect, which is when a character sits down and literally just explains what's been going on the whole time. And it's like, oh, if you had given me five more minutes, I probably could have gotten there myself. I didn't really need you to sit there and actually say it and explain it. But the problem is with Thrawn, like you said, the plot can get so muddy just to show how clever he is that you actually need him to sit down and to explain it. But this one, they really only did a couple times and they did it very sparingly. So I was happy about that. But there is, yeah, you're right. There's that level of complexity to these stories that sometimes it's just a little bit too much. Um, but this one I thought was the most enjoyable of any of the Thrawn books while they made it complex. It, it's funny that you say, like, the House of Card effects because there were certain points when I was like, can we please get to the point where he's going to explain what the hell is going on? <laughs> and there were a couple points when I got there and I was like, okay, thank you, finally. But, I mean... It, I really it, like that they teased it in this yeah, book too so yeah. often. It was so often the, you know, I'll tell you if I have to, or I'll tell you when this happens. So now instead of just sitting there trying to figure everything out, I sat there the whole time and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for this to happen so that Thrawn finally tells us who these prisoners are. Or I can't wait for this to happen so Thrawn finally tells us what he um, thinks the enemy is going to do or something like that. Right, and I think, like, yeah, they, they have the little breadcrumbs there where it makes you feel like, okay, I'm not supposed to know what's going on right now. That's the point, and I appreciated that a little bit more. It's, you know, I I personally think Thrawn, the original Thrawn novel, is better than Heir to the Empire, and I know that's going to be sacrilege to some people, and we probably just lost, like, half of our listenership, but Thrawn Alliances, I feel like, is Timothy Zahn at his peak. I just think that this whole novel gets e- he gets every character spot on and that's hard because I have problems with Vader in novels because like I feel like when you describe him you have to t- go almost too too human, I guess. And I always think about Vader as this larger than life force who is beyond just the simpletons of humanity like you don't see Vader sit in the original trilogy, you know? And there was a, a moment in another book, I can't remember which one it is, where he, like, bends under the wing of a TIE fighter. And I'm like, no, Vader wouldn't do that. Like, he would go around it because he has to stand tall. And I don't know why that stuff like that bothers me, but here, I think, for the most part, Zahn captured the fear-inducing villain that Vader would have been at this point in the, in the story. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know. I think I disagree a little bit, actually. Just because I do think that Vader works the best when he's used as just this big, intimidating force. And I think the best way to do that is to not show what's going on inside his head. This book, though, what it did well was give us a viewpoint of Vader from not only Thrawn... But from those other officers. Yes. And that yes. that was what I found most helpful. And I will say, in terms of the minor characters, I thought they were really lacking in this. I think the first Thrawn, I was so wrapped up in every single character, whether it was a new character, someone we've met before, someone who's been mentioned before. I love every single character that we meet in the first Thrawn book. This one, the only people I cared about, Thrawn, Vader, Anakin, Padme, the core four, that's it. This one, I could have done without any of the other minor characters, with the exception of how they viewed Vader. Yeah, they, were, they weren't really important. You know, the, the ones that really got to me, and I, I don't know really how I feel about this, but the, the three guys that help out Padme in the forest, I, I guess they're, they're mm. brothers, right? I think they're brothers. Uh, I don't think that, I thought they were brothers at first, but then there were a few lines towards the end where it sounded like they weren't. Okay. Well, maybe they're not. But yeah. either way, 
for me, from the minute they started, all I could picture was, oh, brother, where art thou? Like, that's the picture that I had in my head. Oh. With the brothers from that. I just, oh, I totally right? see that now that I didn't I didn't see it myself at first, but now that you say it, yeah. At first it kind of bothered me because I was like, why are these characters like necessary? But the more that it, it went on and they kind of were a lens into the impact that the stuff was having on the the planet, I appreciated it. But yeah, it just made me laugh because they just come out all I mean, country bumpkin and stuff, you know, and it's great. I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was awesome because it was it gave them culture, but it wasn't like a it wasn't a degrading stereotype kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like the, I'm going to sound like you. I like the sad ending that they had because they were all such likable characters and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. But then when it does at the end, you're just like, well, that was satisfying. Well, and I mean, I think it says a lot that you have those three guys who end up worse because of their interaction with the good guys. And conversely, you have the uh, Chiss children who end up better off because of the bad guys. Like, I thought that was a an interesting parallel that they set up. In it. This, this was a book of a lot of parallels. Yes, it was. And that's an interesting one that I didn't necessarily pick up on. But there was definitely that insane theme throughout this whole book of really what is the cost of war. So I think for you to put it in those terms of the guys who help the good guys get screwed and the good kids who help the bad guys ended up better off, that's an incredible way to look at it. So as far as the Chiss children go... Um, because it took me a minute to get into that storyline. What what did you what did you think about that whole angle of the book? It is of no concern. Soon the rebellion will be crushed, and young Skywalker will be one of us. I re- I really enjoyed it, and oddly enough, what I was so caught off guard by and really enjoyed was the fact that they were called Skywalkers. Yes, that was so great. Yeah. I literally was, sat straight up. That was insane because my my thought was it was incredible how here are these kids from the unknown regions and although they can manipulate the Force and they should have these same powers, it's so incredibly different than what we see the Jedi do. You know, the fact that their powers are there fading. And it's it's so weird to see it's really the exact opposite happening over there. But then for them to be called Skywalkers and have that tie where you're binding everything together through that one word was so, so perfectly Star Wars to me. Well, and the way that Thrawn says it, the whole time you're kind of wondering, does he know... Whether Anakin is Vader, and to me that was the moment where it was like, okay, I've been kind of leading you on, seeing if you would actually tell me, but I know. And, yeah. you know, you, you can try to ignore your past, which, speaking of his past, I love that Vader considered Anakin the Jedi and didn't even use his name. Yes, I absolutely love that. And I will say I started to get pretty annoyed with how often Vader like really played into the whole I'm not him, he's dead, blah, blah, blah. It's like Thrawn gave him so many openings and he just overdid it too many times instead of just like brushing it off or something he really really played into the whole i'm not him but when he has the internal monologues and he calls him the jedi so good yeah and i i kind of i I liked that he was being so adamant about uh that anakin was dead because you you have that moment which yeah the moment where he faces Ahsoka would have been prior to this book and you have that moment where his mask breaks open and you have the voices of uh Matt Lanter and uh, uh James Earl Jones mixing and you get the feel that 
it's somehow Anakin and Vader at the same time. And so I, I, my headcanon is that Vader noticed that, and that's part of what led him to be the, the monster, really, that we saw at the end of Rogue One, and someone who would be very adamant that Anakin Skywalker is dead. Because that moment of weakness, you know, he, he couldn't stand that. Because if he had to continue being Anakin, that means he has to continue living without Padme, you know? And until he sees Padme and Luke and he sees his own son, you know, that's the, the next time he really breaks again. And yeah, I, I thought it's, that was good. It's almost like even a sign of weakness, though. Because the fact that he can't even bring himself to think the name Anakin Skywalker, I, you know, it's it's incredibly badass and I love it. But at the same time, it's almost it really is almost like a sign of weakness that he can't bring himself to think it. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and you have you know in Return of the Jedi, he he does the same thing to Luke. You know, um, when Luke says you know says Anakin Skywalker's name, he says that name no longer has any meaning to me. But in that, you get kind of a, it feels like the rote answer, you know? He's been saying it to himself for so long, whereas here it feels almost still fresh. You know, he's really, is he trying to convince himself or is he trying to convince Thrawn? And I definitely agree that that's a weakness. I mean, it's a strength for me of the character, but it's a weakness of Vader. And I think that when you add those layers you know, you get a much more complex character. For as much crap as the prequels get, Vader Anakin is the, one of the most complex characters in fiction, period, end of story, thank you very much. You know, him and Kylo Ren are pretty much like, if they're not top five, you need to reorder your list. Yeah. So, all right. It's so hard to do, but he did it. So, let's dig into... Uh, the the Anakin and Padme stuff because this was definitely the first Anakin Padme stuff we have in the new canon. I don't I can't off the top of my head and think of anything in the EU that was Anakin Padme based. Do you remember anything? No, other than the Attack of the Clones novel, which is I honestly think one of the best um novelizations from a movie out there that really expands on it but other than that nothing comes to mind off the top of my head okay so then in terms of anakin and padme how did you think zon handled it do you did you think he did them well he missed the mark what do you think i think he did it well um there are some things i would have changed about padme herself in this but the relationship between the two, I thought was handled really well. And what I also really liked was that he made sure that Thrawn picked up on that relationship. Because it wasn't showy at all, and I can understand how anyone other than Thrawn would have completely missed the fact that they're married. But for Thrawn to have picked up on it still shows that there were some subtleties in their relationship that they put on show. Um, so I like that, but I, I don't know. I like that they were so fiercely independent, but just tied together. Okay. So I want to dig into the Padme stuff, uh, because you said you had some problems with Padme. For me, I thought she was written to a T. I thought it was perfectly executed. And for me, I, I felt, it felt good to see a Padme who was her own person and not the barefoot and pregnant version that we get in revenge of the sith so educate me as a stupid white male about <laughs> why i am wrong about padme please so here's here's the thing i don't think it's that zahn didn't write her well i think he stayed very much so in character and this is really my issue with padme in the clone wars series especially and a little bit in the movies i think she is just too trusting of a person you know she's this incredibly smart capable woman but as soon as she meets someone it's it's nice that she always assumes the best in them but she just trusts them with everything so quickly 
And that's my issue that really came out in this book. She does it a lot in other places, but this was just so prevalent. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, you know, Padme is is kind of the person who trusts everybody, and Anakin's kind of the person who trusts nobody Mm -hmm. throughout the prequels. You know, he doesn't even really trust Obi-Wan. He says Obi-Wan's holding him back. And it's kind of interesting. I'd never thought about that before, how... Those are, they are very much two extremes uh, of that spectrum. But, um, yeah, it, w- it was kind of weird to me, like, how she just automatically trusted these, you know, backwoods guys who basically, like, for lack of a better term, kidnapped her for a minute, yeah. you know? But I did, but once, like, she played them, basically, into, air quotes, kidnapping her, I thought that that was very much padme and i like that this I, I think in clone wars the problem is with with padme is we get her action side but we don't get her thinking side and I yeah like and part of that is intellect. there's just not enough time right right it's the format yeah yeah i agree with you. So, I, I did really enjoy though how it still showed how compassionate she was just the fact that she went all the way to the outer rim just to find her old old handmaiden I think that it showed her compassion really well. It showed her, like you said, her intellect and the level of thinking that goes on. I just think that it's really just the trusting side of her is a big character flaw. But that has nothing to do with Zahn or this book. It's just her character. Right. So let's take that and let's jump into each of the plots. Because you have the Anakin, Padme, Thrawn stuff and you have the Vader, Thrawn stuff. So... Since we're already on Padme, let's start with that side. What did you think of that story arc um, of them going to Batu and and everything like that? I enjoyed it. Uh, definitely enjoyed seeing the way the young Anakin and Thrawn played off each other. Like I said, I think Padme's storyline was really believable for her character. And I think that, you know, we talk so much about these authors getting down the right voice. And I think Zahn really did get her voice well. Um, but it almost, to me, seemed pretty small, if that makes sense. You know, the fact that this whole storyline didn't end up making a difference in the Clone Wars at all. Um, nothing major changed for Anakin and Padme because of this interaction, so I really liked it. I just didn't really see where it fit into the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, I I think it did impact the Clone Wars because you had the fibrous material uh, getting destroyed. I can't even remember what it was called. But it really was... That was more of a... I feel like more of the character study part of the, the story. Um, and, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about Padme and I, I think her storyline was great the part that I had a big problem with was not seeing more of the handmaiden um Duche. Mm-hmm. I I think I I mean we should have had at least like a chapter with her or something um I, I would have appreciated seeing it from her point of view but I know Izon didn't give us any because he wanted you know to show Padme figuring it out but just kind of the whole beginning part of this, this, just the different factions that there were, you know, with the thieves and the bartender and everything, it got really muddied, I think, in an effort to make it confusing and make it to where y- you didn't quite know what was going on so that Thrawn could solve it all. I think it got a little just too jumbled together. But once you get to the end part where you have them at the factory um, and you have... I really enjoyed, like, Padme playing the waiting game there where she, like, was on the boat and then she snuck into, you know, she was snuck into the factory and thinking about the fact that Anakin would have just gone in there with guns blazing and pretty much did go in there with guns blazing and Mm -hmm. uh, Padme is not. And that's, you know, again, to those two extremes that we were talking about. Yeah, it's always yeah. so funny to me that she's like more of the Jedi than she is, than he is. Yes, oh, so true. I mean, come on, Luke is definitely Padme's son. Oh yeah, it's insane. Though, oh right? yeah. The more content we get, the more clear that becomes. Uh, so 
as far as the like the material that they were mining you said you didn't really feel like it had an effect on the clone wars i would have to disagree with you on that because like that would have completely changed the clone wars you know if the droids had that if they were able to um have clone armor with that and this is the part that got i've been saying confusing a lot and i'm abusing the word because that's not what i mean but it was just a little it made me go huh was why would dooku let them make this stuff you know it, it seemed like something dooku was doing against palpatine having the people from sereno there who he could probably trust um to keep his secrets that maybe it was a play to play palpatine and i kind of wondered how much of a hand maybe palpatine had in leading padme there and then leading anakin there to eventually destroy that factory <laughs> oh see that's that's a story and that's a question i'd be interested in exploring because really the reason i think it just didn't affect anything is because anakin and padme were quote unquote successful um depending on how you look at success but the fact that they weren't able to mass produce any of these weapons that's why i think it didn't really have that much of an effect but yeah no you're totally right and i didn't think of that in terms of how palpatine would play into it um and if he had any kind of hand in manipulating it that's a really good question well and i mean i feel like when you talk about the upper echelons of the empire you have to have palpatine in there i mean he was in the very beginning but really, like, that could have been an email kind of thing. You didn't really get the thing <laughs> Palpatine. Like, it was, it's one of those stuff meetings where, like, couldn't you have sent this in an email? Yes. Like, um, but, like, if you look at Tarkin, you have Palpatine playing more in there as a, a character. And I just don't, one, I don't think anything with Thrawn and Vader happened without Palpatine having a hand in it. And, two... I like to think that Palpatine, at least to some extent, was moving Anakin around in the Clone Wars, you know, as his chess piece uh, was leading him certain ways, especially when it came to him and Padme. So. Yeah, um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Some theories on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. So here's what I kept thinking, though, that entire book was... How much of this do you think was really necessary for the story and for the bigger questions like that? Like, how did Palpatine tie into this? And how much of it was really just setting up for Galaxy's Edge at Disney World and trying to set this whole scene? See, I don't think, I mean, I don't think any of it did. I know it did, you know, it talked about Batu and stuff, but I think by taking it, off of Batu onto Majiric or however you say the other planet kind of saved them from that, I guess. I mean, I'm sure Zahn got like the order, like, hey, you have to make one of the planets Batu and spend a little time talking about the cantina. And but I don't think if you if you were to read it, it would have felt that way. You know, if, if you didn't know about Galaxy's Edge and you read it, I don't think you, it would have felt that way. There were definitely, like, some Easter eggs in there. But, it I mean, other than going, oh, hey, Batu, that's the planet that Galaxy's Edge is going to be. I didn't really think about it at all. Yeah. I don't know. I think that when it opens up, because they're doing that whole, like, interactive experience, I guess, where if you stay at the hotel, you're assigned a part. And when you go to the park, you basically play like a mystery game. So the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, I wonder if what they're setting up is going to be like part of this mission and going off world or something like that. Yeah. And like maybe you have something with the because I know the bartender or that's been a rumor that's going is like when you go to the bar, they'll be like, why'd you crash the Millennium Falcon or whatever? So maybe you have the bartender be uh, that character that we got here. Um, I honestly just think it was a, a cool Easter egg that 
they're getting Star Wars fans more excited about Batu so that we talk about it so that they don't you know that's word of mouth advertisements the strongest form out there but in terms of connectedness <clears throat> I don't know but I I think it would be in terms of connectedness I want to see more of the Chiss ascendancy so I think if you as you develop the story you know cuz over the years they have to change the story you know they have to develop it or you're just going to get people coming back getting the same story so I I mean I feel like right there on those unknown regions there's just so much that you can do uh with them that i mean they could take pretty much anything from this book and tie it in that's true that's true time shall tell well and the the thing that i more than anything appreciated about this book was we finally got an explanation about the unknown regions and why it's unknown and what the heck is going on over in wild space i was like Okay, I finally understand this. You know, I, I read the, uh, t- what is it, the Tales from, or Adventures in Wild Space uh, young reader books this last year, and I'm like, okay, it's wild space, but it's no different from regular space. Why are there not more people there? And this finally made it like, oh, okay, I get it now. That makes sense. Thank you. And it wasn't, I like that it wasn't overly complicated, too. So it was just like that one quick mention, it explained everything, and then you move on to the next thing. You're just like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. Let's keep going. Yeah, and they're just continuing to develop that idea of something more is out there in wild space, um, in the unknown regions. You, I don't, I do think it's snow. I think one of the things is Snoke. But I have a feeling that as we go further and further into this Star Wars story and you get to the resolution of whatever happens with the Resistance in the First Order, you start having, not not the Yuuzhan Vong necessarily, but you start having the Chiss Ascendancy start to move in. Or these other cultures that are out there start to move in on the republic or whatever it becomes and so based on this book and another tinfoil hat theory that i have i want to get your opinion so i think after episode nine you have the resistance win you have ray reestablish the jedi order as warriors and not as peacemakers um but that you don't reestablish a new republic because that has shown to fail multiple times instead each planet kind of does what ryloth does and goes off on their own and every now and then you know if they need some help from one another they'll help each other out you know they're good neighbors Mm -hmm. and then you have these new threats from the unknown regions come in and attack and i just think you can do so much more with that where you don't have a set faction in the galaxy that we know what do you think? Am I crazy? I No, I don't think you're crazy at all. And I think it's definitely an idea that they allude to often enough in things like Bloodline. So, I mean, I, I could see it happening, but you would have to develop this story and the Chiss Ascendancy so much more by the time Episode 9 comes out for people to understand why that's being done. Well, I don't think it'll happen in episode nine. I'm talking like yeah. way beyond episode nine. Post, in, yeah. Yeah, in, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 or whatever saga or uh, spinoff stories they give us. But I do have an idea about the Chiss Ascendancy and how they're going to bring them into the larger, I guess, common knowledge. Okay. I have, and, and again, tinfoil hat theory. So I'm probably wrong because I also thought that Snoke was a dark side conglomeration of Darth Plagueis uh, coming back to life. So, again, tinfoil hats, I'm definitely wrong. But I think in Resistance, you have the opportunity to go beyond just the Resistance and the First Order, right? Because the First Order is out in those unknown regions and wild space. And to not overplay your hand with Resistance First Order stuff, you have whatever team of Resistance people we meet end up in the Chiss Ascendancy in some way, you know, and having to work their way out or whatever, where you don't have the resistance fighting the Chiss Ascendancy, but you do have this one group of 
you know, this one crew of rebels that is having to push back, kind of like the rebels did um, on Rebels when looking at Lothal in that final season. It could work. I'm trying to think it through. Don't don't overthink it. Don't. It's not. <laughs> It's not gonna happen. See what what I'm I would just trying to figure out what resistance is going to be about. I mean, what I would like for a way to bring the Chiss ascendancy into things is for all of these years later, when Sabine and Ahsoka go off to look for Ezra, they find him. But now he is basically like an Eli Vanto type character, and he understand. You know, it's not that he sympathizes with the empire by any means, but he understands who Thrawn is as a person and therefore is willing to help the Chiss ascendancy. And that's the state that Sabine and Ahsoka find him in. That's how I would want the Chiss ascendancy to be brought into more of the mainstream. And that happens in resistance. There. I, boom. I just, I just want to know what the hell resistance is about. <laughs> I know. Come on. I know. Oh my God. All right. We're so... almost there. Let's let's close out digging into the the larger story with Thrawn and Vader. We've kind of hit the high points there. Um, what are you, what are kind of your final notes or things that we haven't covered about that plot line that you wanted to to talk about? I mean, I really just think you know it's like you said before. The whole point of this is to dig into these individual character arcs. And one thing that really struck me was seeing how actually Vader kind of grew throughout this whole thing. Because in the very beginning, you have him just totally gung-ho to get Thrawn. And it doesn't matter what Thrawn does. Everything at this point is going to be wrong in Vader's eyes. Because he screwed up and he let the ghost crew go. And he screwed up by not being completely loyal to the Empire. And Vader just wants him gone. And he's not willing to give him any kind of credit in the very beginning. But then by the end of it, Vader's making these little comments in his head where he's at least able to recognize that Thrawn is maybe not the biggest asset to the Empire, but he's at least still valuable. And there is ways that there are going to be ways that he can use him in the future. So I think being able to see Vader's kind of, I don't want to say total change of heart, but there is still a little bit of growth there for Vader, which I was really impressed by. Yeah, and you get Vader, which is a lesson that Anakin failed to learn, figuring out that, you know, he can't do it on his own, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, that he's... It almost sounds cheesy to say, like, he's better with Thrawn or, you know, better with Tarkin, but to maybe not just jump to the conclusions that everyone else is wrong, you know? And so when you get him, you know, and Director Krennic, well, you know, maybe Director Krennic is not the worst person to be in charge of the Death Star, you know? So just little things like that, I think he did, you know, kind of shift and... I mean, he's not a teamwork makes the dream work guy for sure, but it's starting to break that shell a little bit. That will eventually, way down the line, lead him back to being Anakin. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we said last week, too, was not so much about Vader and Anakin, but with Thrawn. One of Thrawn's best strengths is how he draws things out of other people. So for him to even be able to draw it out of Vader says so much about who Thrawn is and how strong of a character he is. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I want this book, but from the point of view of from Palpatine. Like, I don't want to get rid of alliances, oh, I love that. but I also want like alliances Palpatine edition because I want to know like the crafting that went into you know Palpatine getting those two to to, to go with each other. You know, because. He, everything that he does in his empire is intentional. And especially mm -hmm. if you're sending him out to the unknown regions where Thrawn knows he wants to expand to. Um, God, I want that book. Or comic series. Give it, you know, instead of a Thrawn Alliances comic series, that's what we need. A Thrawn yes. Alliances Palpatine edition comic yes. series. Yes. Tweet but, it. 
Tweet, <laughs> tweet it, and you will get it. That's how Star Wars books work. So that's perfect. That's a perfect uh, full circle. So let's go ahead and close out with our rankings. We do Lothcats because we're sadistic like that. And rankings are one to five. Lindsay, your score is? Okay. I'm going to give it four. And mostly because anytime they use the word frosting instead of the F word... <laughs> I wanted oh, to frosting so throw the book across the frosting room. Oh, yeah. That was so, so bad. <laughs> it, it's like when a little kid goes, flipping mad. <laughs> That's all yes. I could think about the whole time. And I'm like, can, can we get Dave Filoni in here to come up with a new Carabast or something? I, something, yeah. Anything. Um, anything all right. Wrong. So I'm going to give it four and a half. Uh, Lothcats, but it's going to be the back half of that last Lothcat. So it's on the, the lower end of the four and okay. a half. I, I definitely enjoyed this book a lot. It's it's not, I don't want to, it's not in my top tier books, but it's definitely that second level. Like there's some books like Leia, Princess of Alderaan or Lost Stars or Inferno Squad that I could pick up and read like three times a year. Alliances is not that but I'm definitely excited to go back and revisit it, you know, a year from now or, or you know, whenever yeah. the paperback comes out to to dig back into the story, you know, maybe listen to the audiobook, those kind of things. So definitely yeah. a great story. If you haven't checked it out, spoiler alert, a little late for that. Why are you saying <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, I don't know. You can, if you're mad at us, tweet at us, at Clashing Sabres, or you can send us... <laughs> Um, if you want to let them know that we should be writing Star Wars books, you can also tweet using at Clashing Sabers to at Star Wars. Or just email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. Um, we also have the Clashing Sabers Star Wars Facebook community, which is a lot of fun. So that just we touch on it every now and then, but I do want to point out that this is a not like other. Uh, that sounds terrible. This is not like a just another star wars facebook group where you have a whole bunch of ca uh, you know casual fans saying like who's your favorite good guy who's your favorite bad guy which is fine like that's what some people are into but we're definitely digging into um deeper ideas and topics and predictions but also it is a place where we want you guys to come and share what you are doing we've got people sharing artwork we got people sharing events that they're at like this is a community where we want to see your stuff too it's not about hey, look at the articles and podcasts that we're doing. Like, we appreciate that you guys enjoy it, but we're trying to build a stronger, more positive uh, Star Wars community. So if you are not already on there, just go type in Clashing Sabers, all one word, and you will find it. Lindsay, you want to go ahead and give your plugs and we'll get out of here? Yeah, I mean, my personal plug, you can get me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay J. But other than that, definitely find the group on Facebook. We've been having some awesome discussions we love hearing what you guys think so really would love for everyone to hop in and start giving some more insight we always really appreciate it and until next time keep reading keep writing but whatever you do don't burn the sacred text all right by this point you know how this goes their stuff their stuff our stuff our stuff not associated with lucasfilm kathleen kennedy give me a call dave filoni i'm there if you need me our thoughts they're our thoughts they don't reflect lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff so, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text! <laughs>